0: The story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync.
1: One in Australia and one in America, both exuding their high passion for high level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry.
0: If you are ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are Disrupting Dentistry. to another episode of the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. If you are new here, welcome. We're so happy to have you. If you're a returning disruptor, welcome back. And if you're a returning disruptor, you're going to recognize our guest today because she has been with us before. The great, the amazing Miranda Beeson. <laughs>
2: thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so glad to be back.
1: Yes. <laughs> It's so exciting to do follow-up episodes, actually, and check in with people again and let um, viewers kind of hear updates of what's going on and, and follow people's journeys, which is super exciting. So since we saw you last time, Miranda, you were working in a clinical practice. Do you want to tell us all what's happened since then and where you are? Isn't it
2: crazy how life can just turn upside down? Like you never know where you're supposed to be until you get there. So yeah, I am not in a clinical practice anymore. Last time we talked, I was working here in Virginia Beach and um I had a, I, I worked in a great practice and I it's it's still a great practice and I'm still a patient there. Um, but I just felt the calling to transition out and I've always wanted to do more with helping spread my message and the expertise and the experiences that I've had with as many people as possible. Um, so yeah, now I work as a practice coach. I work with act dental and we, we are coaches, not consultants. So it's a little bit different and I look forward to kind of sharing with you guys what that's all about. But yeah, now I get to work with practices and dental teams to help make their systems stronger, help develop hygiene programs, um, help the practices be more profitable. Um, and ultimately caring for more and more people. So now the things that I was doing with just my team, I feel like I've been able to amplify 10 times with my clients and all of the patients that are exposed to those practices. So it's really super fun.
1: So what is the difference between a coach and a consultant then? Like explain that to us first.
2: Well, have you guys ever worked with consultants and your practices? I have.
1: Yeah, some negative, some positive experiences.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I can tell by your tone. I have.
1: Uh,
2: So I've worked with consultants in every practice I've ever worked in. I feel actually pretty lucky to have done that. And yes, there's things that sometimes didn't feel quite right to me about the approach, but there were always nuggets that I took away from all of those. Absolutely. And I do feel like if you're not working with a coach or a consultant, like there's just, there's something that you're missing. There's more that could be out there. So the thing with consulting is you get kind of a cookie cutter approach, right? Here's my, here's our, here's our systems that we have developed within this program. And, and here it is in a binder, like make it fit in your practice. And they're just are- laughing at the binders that I have still yeah. from the consulting firms that I have worked with. We Sorry. all have them. We all have them. <laughs> and again, inside those binders, there's some awesome information. There are. But it doesn't oh. always fit every practice because just like patients, like every practice is unique and you have to customize things to fit that practice. So um, what I really love about coaching as we are working with the leaders in the practice and we are working with the team and we're trying to find out what their pain points and their needs are from their perspective and then help them navigate that through tools and general concepts, but they're creating the systems themselves. So you don't get a binder of systems. This is how you do it. You have a coach who can help you figure out how to do it to best fit your practice. And there's parameters and guidelines, and every now and then we have to put on our consultant hat and really directly advise or answer a question. But for the most part, the goal is helping the team to have it end up being what they want it to be for their practice, not what we've decided it should be for every practice.
1: doesn't that sound better
2: yeah it is I I I definitely agree with you
1: like every everything that we've had in whether it's been you know overall a success or one that you've loved and embraced there's always something that you can take from it and you know I learned a lot I was quite lucky when I first graduated the practice that I went to was using a system and I learned a lot on communication that I didn't learn at uni especially on how to phrase things in a way that the patient would understand rather than in a clinical way. Mm-hmm. And I found that when I got that training at the very beginning of my career, I really feel like it set me up for success early instead of stumbling through. But just learning different ways to phrase something in a in a much easier way for the patient, it just changed communication with the patient so quickly. Like if you're always working clinically, they're just looking at you like, well, you're now speaking French and I speak English. <laughs> Like yeah I said, definitely I think that you're saying and yeah and being able to just even um simple things like being taught about explaining to the patient what the numbers mean before you start the period chart yeah they're listening and they're paying attention and then they're asking you rather than you trying to explain it post like st- simple things like that didn't get explained yeah. in uni I don't feel like like I didn't learn that in my training and they feel really simple now but if no one tells you those little nuggets of information, it can be a long time before you muddle through mistakes to find that stuff out.
2: <laughs> totally. When Absolutely. I graduated, I just was, I wanted to go share all of my knowledge with every patient I encountered. <laughs> like I am now an expert. Let me tell you, like, and I wasn't like, you know, rude about it. But I just felt like I had this information and it was my, I was supposed to go and just tell everybody what to do and how to do it. Yeah. And my first practice I worked at, it was more of a kind of sales consultant that worked with that practice, like helping us to make as much money for the practice as yeah. possible ultimately, which is also important. Um, But that was the focus. But then my second practice was what you were just talking about. And everything we did within that practice was around communication. And asking open-ended questions and finding out where the patient's at and helping the patient to be a part of the experience, like participating
0: yeah. in
2: the periodontal assessment and not just laying there like, she's stabbing me, she's stabbing me. Yeah. <laughs> right? And, and when you do that and then you start to see the buy-in that you're getting from the patients from communicating that way you start to see all, you look back and go like, oh man, that was like five years where I wasn't helping people the right way, but like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it from here forward. When you, yeah, yeah. Cause when
0: you know better, you do better. It's interesting because I started out same way. Like I had um, the first practice I was in, it was a dental assistant while I was in hygiene school and then transitioned very part-time as a hygienist. But then I worked in other practices simultaneously. And then um, the associate at that office left and then he had called me up and said, look, there's a, a great practice I'm in now. I would love you to come join the team. I'm only like a year and a half out of hygiene school at this point. Right. So I'm full on baby hygienist. And I get there and they're like, Oh, by the way, you need to interview with our consultant before you actually come to the office. They have to give you the green light first. So I walk into this interview with the consultant, having no idea who it is. Mind you, it's Gary Katie. Oh, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So I interview, I get the green light from Gary and then I go to the office and then I get the job with them. But let me tell you, it was amazing to have that foundation because same kind of thing, like you were saying, it was about communication. It was about understanding high quality service and price and how that all interacts with each other and how to really set the patient up for success. And that it comes from a place of abundance, ultimately. Like we can't just want to drill, fill bill everyone. It's people have disease. We treat we diagnose that disease, we communicate the disease, and then we help people get well. So it was it, I really do believe that that's part when you have a great foundation like that, it really sets the trajectory of your professional career. So shout out to Gary Katie. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, it does. And, and even things that like I felt like in hygiene school, We were taught to like quieten down saying like pus or blood or keep it really quiet. And now I'm like, man, I'm going to show up. So
2: bloody. Look.
1: (laughs) Like to my nose, there's pus here. So true. Bleeding. Like, you know, I now want the patient to hear these words because I understand how important it is that they're like, and to understand that, you know, most people know pus is not normal. But in hygiene school, I felt like we're kind of. Taught to not alarm the patient like that, or say that like that because mm-hmm. that's rude. And then we would explain it in a more technical way. But really, I just want my patient to hear this pass and then they turn to me and go, "What the hell?"
0: <laughs> right, <laughs> that's a problem.
1: We used to get, we kind of used to get hollered at
0: in, in class because when, especially pathology, when the slides would come up, and everybody in unison was like, <gasps> like horrified, making sounds and <laughs> faces, and they would always be like, "You cannot do that to your patient." So I think we just kind of get this. You know, we get taught culturally that, you know, we can't make a big deal. Like, I remember one professor always saying, you must highlight the positive but gently accentuate the negative and it's like okay (laughs) no wonder everyone is sick and we're like oh you've just a little bleeding no worries it's fine I'll do a nice little polish and shine on top of your infection and send you home yeah like it just now it doesn't make sense
2: right like it's a mindset thing like even you saying that that's what everyone thinks is that they're giving people negative information Mm. and it's like you're not giving the patient negative information, you're actually opening their eyes to an opportunity to be healthy, which no one's apparently given them before. So like, again, it's that just hearing how many people have gone out into the world from that program, hearing those words, thinking that if I'm telling them they have bleeding, or if I'm telling them they have infection, that it's negative. Yeah, but It's not yeah. negative. Like what we're doing is a service. It's an opportunity. It's a good thing to tell a patient what level of disease they have and how okay. we can help them navigate through it. Right. That's a positive Absolutely. thing. Totally.
0: Totally. It's like a wiring thing within hygiene school that we just kind of culturally pass on generation to generation to generation. And I even see it like with my students now, like they'll say how I, I learned a different way from listening to how you talked to the patient today when we found out that they had stage three grade C or whatever it was, you know? So it's like, even within our own programs, like there's conflicting ways of teaching and, and just communicating with patients. So it, it's definitely an issue that we need to really kind of, from an academic standpoint, be more aware of and have more cognizance of so we can start to make changes within the way we teach the next generation.
2: Maybe you need a coach to come in and help your instructors <laughs> be aligned and standardized um, in how they communicate. <laughs> I would love that. A,
0: there's zero funding. And B, I don't know if everyone would be mentally open
1: to it. <laughs> so, Miranda, is that what the majority of your coaching is doing is a lot of communication skills? Definitely a lot of communication skills. One of the things that
2: ACT is really, I think, known for is helping doctors get out of contract with insurance (laughs) and not Mm -hmm. necessarily that you have to, to be a client. We have plenty of clients that aren't, but the goal for us is working with, we have avatar teams or clients, right? We have, we want, just like you want patients that fit your practice and that want to be there. We want clients that match our core values and what we're helping to provide. And so a lot of times we do have practices that come in who are trying to be more relationship driven, reducing the transactional approach, minimizing insurance participation as much as they can and still function and be profitable so that they can have more time with patients. And a big piece of that is the team has to provide an elevated level of care You have to know how to set yourself apart if you're going to be asking patients to discerningly pay more to come visit with you, right? And so there is a big piece of it that is language and communication and consistency of messaging is big, you know, making sure that we have tools in place. And again, like one of the things we do is like, say this, not that with the team or I, I do like, so that you guys have probably heard me say that before, but like leading into everything you do with so that we can see the areas that we can't see just by looking with our eyes, we're going to update your x-rays today. Right. And so we'll have the team develop these communication anchors within the team that are theirs. This is what we say about crowns. This is what we say about Perio, but it becomes a very consistent message from business team assistants, hygienists so that patients have a different experience. Because you have to have the whole team on board if you're gonna be making transitions, like people aren't just coming for their free cleaning to come here, they're coming because we provide an elevated level of care. And a big piece of that is communication.
1: What do you think is the number one communication problem that people make when you're going in and coaching practices? Uh,
2: the biggest thing to me is, like, it kind of goes hand in hand. One is the just dumping of information. like. I kind of hate the word educators and I know it's like I, I get shunned in, in the dental hygiene world. Cause it's one of the key things that, you know, hygienists are educators, but I think we take that to the wrong place and we're this teacher educating, you know, authoritatively.
1: <laughs> yeah. To our yeah.
2: Patients, and I just want to shift that word or the definition of it in people's minds maybe. So I think there's, there's definitely that side of it, but also it's the, what we want you to do. Right. You need this. We want to do this next. Like it's not about what we want or what we need or telling them what they need. It's helping them to understand that they need it and want it. And then it's not about the investment. It's about like, I would pay anything once you get to the end of telling me how, how, what I have going on and allowing me to discover that I need something to solve it. Like, what do I need to do then? Right. I tell, I tell teams Absolutely. like, that's the goal is for the patient at the end of your, you know, we're talking about perio, you bring them into the periodontal assessment. You have them. This is what you're listening for. This is what you're feeling for. When we're done, <laughs> we're going to look at what I found and what you found. And together we're going to see if, if you're healthy. So I have teams define what is healthy look like. That's step one. If it's not that yeah. it's something else. <laughs> what yeah. is it? And then, and then having the patient get to the point where the patient says, what do I, what can I do about this? Great. I'm so glad you asked. I can help you. Not you have this and you have fours and fives and it's bleeding over here and blah, blah, blah. You need to come back for two appointments and some of it's time, right? They're stuck They're They need more time. They're just trying to get it all in. So they're just telling them what they need to do. But if we stop and let them be a part of the process, that's why I love that you mentioned that earlier, Tabitha, like that's such a key piece of every touch that you have with a patient
1: yeah I think this isn't it, happening to them <laughs> yeah it needs to be right. patient centered wants and goals and we help the patient understand what goals can be because sometimes a patient might come in with low expectations because their parents have had, got their teeth out mm-hmm. by 40 and and you know so therefore we need to help in that sense of got real of that patient realizing that that doesn't have to be their destiny but at the end of the day the patient should always be deciding what they want not us because everyone yeah. has different monetary issues, different wants, needs, uh, things that, you know, they want out of their mouth. And I think, you know, we all want a gold standard for ourselves and we expect everybody else to want that as well. And that's not always like, well, and they don't know
2: what we know. Yeah. Of course, our standards going to be different than someone who, who didn't go to hygiene school and learn microbiology of, you know, the pockets, like, we're going to have a different goal for our mouth than, than somebody just coming in off the street. But that's another thing we talk about starting with is like asking the patient, what is your goal for your health and, you know, of your oral health? And they're going to look at you cross-eyed because no one's ever asked them what the goal is for their mouth before. And then they're going to say, like, I just want to be healthy. I want to help you be healthy. What does healthy mean to you? And it's going to mean something different to every person, right? Some people just don't want cavities because they just grew up in a house where when they came out of their dental appointment, their parents said, did you have any cavities? (laughs) And that was the like measure of health. And then other people had grandparents who took their teeth out when they came to visit and put them on the counter. And their goal is to never have to do that. Everybody's goal is going to be different. And if we know what it is, and then I encourage teams document it in their chart, come back to that every visit and if you see something that impacts their goal for their mouth now we need to talk about that we need to help them understand how it relates to the goal that they set
1: yeah
0: absolutely and i feel like we as a profession opt patients out of that we we don't even like engage in the conversations like that we don't ask them what we, what should like as a new patient what should we focus on for you is are you is your goal aesthetics is it functional Is it just overall health? Like, where would you like us to focus on this journey with you? And, you know, instead, they're just like, everybody's getting a profi because that's just what your insurance is going to pay for. And we just, as a profession, go into agreement with that. And, you know, Tabitha and I were just having a conversation about the lack of perio charting or when you do perio chart, but then you deliver a prophylaxis when you have five, six, seven bleeding millimeter pockets, you've just indicted yourself into supervised neglect.
2: Yeah. Kirk, don't Kirk even who is the owner, he's the owner of ACT, the company I work with now. And he says, you're delivering champagne and charging for water. Like you're doing it all day, yeah. every day. Oh, I love you're that. You're doing perio and you're not, you're charging a profi. You yeah. are elbow deep, <laughs> right? And you are breaking mm-hmm. your back and mm-hmm. you're, you're, but you're doing, you're doing champagne service and charging for water. Like you're, just just acknowledge and have the conversation. A lot of people are afraid to broach it. Um, I actually did a podcast with, our, with ACT not too long ago on like how to encourage your dental hygienist to diagnose perio. And I think the biggest thing is just they need the knowledge and confidence to do it. They need the support of the practice. Maybe you, as a, an owner doctor, have to bring someone in or send them somewhere specifically to help them have the confidence and knowledge that they need to be able to broach those conversations. And some people aren't afraid to go there. But then as soon as a patient objects, they don't, they're, they just shut down. Okay. We'll just try flossing a little bit more and we'll see you maybe in four months instead of six months and see how it looks. Well, their perio isn't going to go away. And we know that, right? <laughs> like, so yeah. like, how do we arm people with the words that they need to feel confident And taking it to the next level
1: well very interestingly today on instagram someone messaged me a question i thought it would be quite good for today's conversation so um she um messaged and said uh, she's a new grad um she's working in private clinic and sometimes finding it challenging explaining to patients in the most simplest form what periodontal is and why a periodontal chart is done and would really love some advice and tips so I thought, oh, this is really good for today's podcast. right back and listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but as a communication, you know because I think um, again, exactly how we mentioned in the beginning, we can learn it in quite a technical way as students. And then getting into private practice with maybe an hour, you've got to get everything else done. you've got to educate this patient especially. It can be very difficult if the patient's been sailing along for six monthly cleans and then you've seen something now, it might just be that there's something changed in their life and it started or maybe it hasn't been picked up properly before and explained. What do you think is the best way to explain to a patient? I actually wrote in the back, you should be explaining periodontal disease before you do the chart, not after. Because I feel like when you do it after, it's like you're trying to backtrack in a way, and you're trying to sell what you found. Yeah. Where if you if patients know what it is first, and then you say, "And now we're going to do a check for it," and these, you know, and I say I say to my patients, um, "I'm going to call out numbers between one and three. I'm comfortable with. You could still have inflammation, but they're numbers that I feel we can treat easily. Numbers above three are signs that we have inflammation or infection." Mm-hmm. if it's uncomfortable it's probably because there's inflammation or infection there so straight away i'm like i'm not going to get the blame for this <laughs> <laughs> No I'm doing it because it's uncomfortable. this is your problem but um it's but then they usually will say to me like sometimes when you're calling out the seven they're like seven i don't want a seven <laughs> like, yeah and you're like yeah, yeah we'll, we'll talk about it at the end we'll talk about it at the end like you're trying to stop them but what are your tips miranda like what are some things that you like especially with explaining Perio in a short period of time, you know, you've got you've got the stopwatch going. How yeah. would you do it?
2: <laughs> I I definitely like having a visual in combination with it. Yes. So I think having a really clear um, visual or diagram that has the tooth. You actually just posted a couple of things, speaking of Instagram, yes. just this week. You've you've been talking about and there's been a couple of diagrams with the tooth with location yes. yes. where the bones coming out. So having some type of visual, because some people are more visual learners and they're nervous. So they're not going to hear every word that yeah. you say. And then taking that visual. And like you said, sitting up, they're, they're not laying down with their mouth open. They're sitting up yeah. and we're looking at it together and we're telling them like, we're going to do a periodontal assessment for you. Um, have you ever had your teeth and, and bones and gum measured before? And cause I like to know, some people are like, I have, I've, I had a four down here. We were doing this with it. Like, I hope it's yeah. still okay today. And other people are like, I don't think anyone's ever done whatever you're talking about. This sounds foreign. Great. So now you know where you're starting with. And then just like you said, um, this is gonna. It's funny. It's taking me back to clinical hygiene. Here's my spiel. I'd say we're going to take basically a tiny ruler and we're going to measure in between your tooth and your gums. Because we want to see where the bone and tissue are attached beneath there, the parts that we can't see. And I and I would tell them it's kind of like going in between your and your finger and your fingernail, that little area that you clean out pretty regularly where the tissue attaches to your nail. It's the same kind of thing. Um, we're gonna be measuring four, you know, one, two, and three, which are technically within normal limits, but we'll wanna make sure we talk about where we're at with that. Cause if there's bleeding, there could be signs that there's infection, even if it's only a three. And then anything above that, I want you to be listening for. So four and up, just listen and also feel for any areas that might be tender or uncomfortable because you know there's going to be, and they're in their mind saying, she's stabbing me. Of course it bled because you were stabbing me. So if we can get ahead of that and help them to understand if they feel like we're stabbing them in any particular areas, then there's likely inflammation or infection, almost the exact same thing that you just said, Tabitha. Um, And then I'll explain to them, like, just like we were talking about with your fingernail, like that's only maybe like a millimeter or two. Imagine if that nail bed went all the way, you know, down to here, like six millimeters down and I'll show them. And I'm like, how much harder would that be for you to clean? And how more likely would it be for that to develop some type of infection or something down underneath your nail? So it's the same thing, but we have to go in there and see what's going on. So you listen for this and you feel for that. I'm going to be recording it over here and then we'll look at it together when they're done. And then you sit them up and you turn them around so they can see the assessment as well. And all the red dots, hopefully no yellow dots. (laughs) I don't know what everyone's practice management software looks like. And then you just ask the question. You don't go into dumping information. You just say, based on what I asked for you to listen for and hear for, what are your first thoughts and questions about the assessment that we just did? And you just be quiet and let them give you some piece of information. They may already like that, be ready for for what do we need to do? I heard fives, I heard sixes. It was so sore around these back teeth. they're the same ones that bleed when I try to you know do something at home. Like what does that mean? Do I have gum disease? It sounds like I have gum disease, right? Great, Let's talk about that. Other people, you're gonna gauge because they're gonna be less uh, interactive with you or like, I don't know, I don't know. It was fine. Okay, we gotta we got a big <laughs> barrier to climb here. But the big thing is just <laughs> asking them, and being super quiet, don't sit them up and immediately start giving all the information. Like you got to find out where they're at first. That's think, a very long winded answer. To no, this. I
1: think being quiet has been the hardest thing for me to learn. Um, you know, when I have to ask things like, what do you think the barrier is to you doing this? And then having to sit there and make eye contact and hope they break before me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so hard I'm like, sometimes <laughs> I'm, you're in control please, of that pause you're in control please break please break <laughs> because i naturally am someone that gets uncomfortable in silence and wants to fill the space so like to learn to not to fill the space inside the clinic has been a really big a really big thing for me to learn to do and to just look at someone and like i'm gonna stare at you until you answer me like yeah it was really hard to
2: learn. To well, do and it. I'll tell team members like just just count to five slowly, like tap your foot five times yeah. really slowly. Like give your mind something else to focus on while you're waiting, so that you don't start like beads of sweat. Or
1: <laughs> I try to think about Joe. Yeah. <laughs> of
2: course. <laughs> Next thing you know, you're like daydreaming, <laughs> singing. Yeah. Like, bring it back Tabitha.
1: (laughs) Tabitha's in a new place. No, (laughs) like every, every person is
2: different. You guys know, I love disc. Um, every, every person is different. So another thing I often encourage teams is like, try to consider what their disc style is when they're sitting in your chair. And when you have S and C style personalities that are processors and slower paced, and then you have someone like me or you guys, we all have similar personalities, a lot of D, a lot of I. Like we're very driven, we're urgency, like go, go, go. It's for us, we would come up with an answer in a split second. We'd be right there in the conversation, but S's and C's, they have to process. And you have to give them the space and the time to do that. Otherwise, they're agreeing, they're nodding along, yeah. and then they're not going to schedule or they're going to schedule right. and then they're going to call and cancel. So there's a lot to do about mirroring who that person is.
0: Totally. My favorite thing to do with those personality types is give them the space to think about it. And I always say to them, like, look, this has to fit into your life. I can create this whole plan for you. I know what needs to get done to get you healthy. But if I don't get you on board, it's not going to be successful. Yep. So because 80% of this success is going to be what you're doing, coming to see me and what you're doing at home. 20% of the outcome is what I do here with you. So I need you to go home and kind of think about when you feel the time is right in your life to commit to this so that we can get you healthy. Obviously I'd like to start as soon as possible, but it's got to fit into your world. So right now, if you're not ready to move forward, I totally understand at the very minimum, I really feel it's important that you come back in three months, gives you some time to do some of the things I've just taught you at home, kind of get into a new routine try these things out. You come back in three months. We reevaluate. We'll do these measurements again. We'll see where you're at. We'll see if things change. I know the perio is not changing, right? But I gave them the space to get them to where I want them to go without them feeling bullied or cornered or forced to do something.
2: And that's really and they, helpful. Like Tabitha said earlier, as part of that question was, what do you do for the ones who have been coming every six months? The hardest, the hardest is when you, as a clinician, You learn something new or you get coached by someone or you go to ADHA or RDH one Roof. We were just talking about that. Um, And you you say, I'm going to start doing this. Like, I'm going to do it differently. Like, I do want to create opportunities for my patients to be healthier. I'm going to start doing this. But your perio percentage in your practice is 2%. You've never really talked to these people about it before. And you've been working there for 17 years. And you've been seeing these patients for 17 years or even yep. four years and you've never brought it up. That's the hardest path yes. to go down. Right? Like you guys, 100%. I, I was there as a younger hygienist when I wasn't as confident presenting and then you learn it and you're like, Oh, I got to do better about this. And so you have to then do kind of what you were saying is like, if you've never mentioned the periodontal assessment before doing it before, And you start doing that, they're already going to be on a better path with you because now you're having the conversation that you didn't even have, but they're going to say, how did this happen when I've been coming every year, twice a year for hygiene? And that's when it gets a little tricky. Like, you know what? That's a really great question. This can slowly progress over time. It's really fast for some patients. It's really slow for others. I did have some notes in my, you know, in my records that we had seen some signs of inflammation before and I may not have shared it. And sometimes you have to just be honest. I may not have shared it with you as directly as I probably could have, or should have. When I mentioned there was a little bit of bleeding last time you were here, I minimize that when we're looking at it. Like we can see together, it's more than a little bit. Like, would you agree? And you do have to kind of own that. Now, if you have new tools in your office or, or you can say like, I just went to this program that was amazing. And I learned that this is actually, you know, the earliest stages. And if we do something now, you know, and you're like enthusiastic for this new information Mm -hmm. that you have, or um, we, we work with Pearl AI. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's the coolest. And like, something like that, that comes into your office, like, oh, we can measure it right here now. Now that's the hit man and not you. But like, would you agree that like, that's, that's the biggest challenge is when you've been seeing someone a hundred percent.
0: Or if you're like also like the new kid on the block and the office kind of like this happened to me a few years back. Go. Oh, well, you know, we have these patients that we inherited from Dr. Jones down the street who watched everything. And, um, we until just he have pulled to it be- out. He
2: watched it until he pulled it
0: out. <laughs> it, yeah. And we so, just have to be extremely gentle in the approach with these patients because they are very reluctant about how aggressive, like all of a sudden you're named the aggressive dental practice, right? Because you actually give a shit and you don't want to see their freaking teeth rotting
2: out of their skull. Oh. So it's just interesting. I remember when being like called that that to you the young, voice. You're the young aggressive hygienist. And I'm like. Oh, same here. Okay.
1: <laughs> I just hate to those. The advice I usually give to clinicians when, like I had someone ask me the other day, they're like, I've started a practice and there's a lot of um, perio there. And now people are asking me when I'm diagnosing it. I said, I just always say, I've got one line that I say, all I can comment on is what I see today. Yeah. I don't know what's been going on in your life. Maybe you've been stressed. You've been sick. There's maybe other things. Health does not stand still. And so I don't know what's been happening in your life since the last six months that you were seen, but what I can comment on is today.
2: And yeah. today
1: this is what we see. So I'm like, I, cause a clinician asked me this at a conference recently, like they put the hand up and said to me, you know, I had a new patient come to me. Um, she had perio, but she told me six months ago she didn't. And I said, maybe six months ago she didn't. I'm like, how, what stage? Yeah. Was this? How do we know that if this was stage yeah. one, maybe six months ago, she really didn't have perio and health-wise things have changed stress-wise things have changed you know like I said it has to start at some point (laughs) like you know I said if it's more severe then it's more likely it's been going on for a while but patients also lie and maybe she was told and (laughs) And she left that practice because she didn't want to do therapy or she didn't listen or the way it was explained she didn't understand or do you know what I mean like you, you you weren't in those other appointments so you can't comment like you don't really know what happened I said, yeah. unless there was a video recorder recording it and you can watch it play for play, you'll never know, even if you receive the notes, what really exactly happened. I said, so I always just go with, this is what I know today. And that, and you know that what you
2: just mentioned two new patients, like that's a whole nother thing too, is the bias when someone comes on board, oh, they're only like 25, they need like 45 minutes, they're going to be healthy. Or or yes. well, they, they just had, you know, the front office team, you know, cause I've worked in the front office as well. So I know <sighs> there, they, the things they tell you on the phone, they, they are healthy. They're not going to need, they're not going to need all that FMX and comprehensive <laughs> exam because they just were there, you know, six months ago and they've been going every six months. They could tell you as a new patient, they've been going every three months, Yeah, but that doesn't mean they were going somewhere that was maintaining them well. And you have those patients come in and they have active disease. And so, yeah, approaching it from that way, but like also just making sure the practice doesn't have any bias in their mind when someone new is coming in. You have to approach every patient that comes in like clean slate. We don't necessarily take that information that they're telling to us and and using it. We're clean slate. What I see today. Yeah. A hundred percent.
1: And I think um, also another useful question too is like once you've uh, done that per exam and the patients told you like asking them questions like what do you know about the history so then mm-hmm. you can figure out what they know like you know they often tell you something really interesting like oh, i had uh, gum disease 30 years ago but i had a treat and i'm fine and you're like hmm mm. <laughs> that's not <laughs> how it works but you know lots of people assume that they'll get get treatment and that's sometimes a failure on us as clinicians as well as we're telling them we're fixing them but mm-hmm. we can't fix this. And the way I uh, talk to my patients about it is that we want to um, attain remission. And we may not stay in remission for life because your stress levels may change. Your health may change. Your motivation may change. You may fall off the wagon and I'm going to help push you back up on it. But we, we're trying to get to remission and then we'll see what happens from there. But like, I just, I just, I really want my patients to understand that I'm not fixing you. i just
0: smile so big when she talks because she's literally like my twin (laughs) But yeah like we've been doing these things on the opposite sides of the world identically
1: yeah i think that's a miscommunication that comes across and i know i did it as a baby hygienist a lot i tried to uh provide a solution a lot and like tried to sell that i would fix their perio but really we know that their risk remains at life and reactivation is something that, that is a really high possibility. And so it's really important that we don't set up the next hygienist to have to try and right. deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> well,
2: and if As you can hygienist, it to something that they understand too, well, and I don't know how it is in Australia, but a lot of people in the U S heart disease, diabetes, heart disease, diabetes, everyone's on Blood pressure medicine, diabetes medicine, like not everyone, I'm I'm exaggerating, but there's a lot. (laughs) So if you, you know, I often would just relate it to that and say like, it's as if you were diagnosed with heart disease. Now, you know, you're going to need to treat that with whatever means that is surgically or with a medication. And then you're going to go see your doctor or cardiologist every three months to make sure that nothing has progressed or flared back up, that you're still still stable. Um, patients with diabetes, same thing. They're going in consistently every three months to make sure that everything's stable. You can fall off the wagon and, you know, have to pump your insulin or whatever, you know? And it's, if you can relate it to something that they understand. So if you, and a lot of our periodontal patients have heart disease, Yeah. So if they're used to that approach and if we can correlate it in the same way, this is an infection. It's an inflammatory disease. It's similar Mm -hmm. to what you have experienced with your heart disease, where there was an initial diagnosis an initial treatment. And then there's been maintenance ever since same thing here.
0: So it's interesting too, because like, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) It's so periodontal disease is so multifactorial. So like when Tabitha was saying before about diagnosing and this is what you look like at this time, that's one of the things. And and I, I love that you said inflammatory disease. I think we need to lead with that more because that helps open the door for the conversations about other inflammatory systemic diseases, right? So that medical history is the key to the kingdom of getting patient compliance and acceptance when we just take our... I'm trying to think of another word because I know you don't like the word educator hat. But, um, you know, if we if we can share this information that we know, because, again, we know this. They don't know this. It's our job to help share this information so that we motivate them to make positive changes in their lives to achieve a better health status.
2: And like, don't so, we want patients showing up and looking at this as a healthcare appointment? Yeah. Yes. And and that's like such a, that is such a, it's so crazy what I see in practices. It's, it's one or the other. It's either we are a healthcare practice and these are the things that we're doing or we chat and and I love to chat. I love to chat. (laughs) I loved getting gifts from my patients. I loved getting hugs from my patients. Like I wanted to be their friend because I have a high eye in my personality style. However, (laughs) I always kept in my mind, 75% clinical, 25% personal, 75% clinical, 25% personal. Like it had to be a healthcare visit because otherwise we're a luxury. You could cancel at the last minute. It's fine. Like the fact that people pay more dedication to like their hair appointment yeah, and making yes. sure they don't miss it and showing up on time and being ready to pay and feeling like it's <laughs> worth the investment than going to the dentist, which are like, um, I was just listening to a podcast. Katrina Sanders does some stuff now with act and, um, you know, she was, she was talking about, um, the value and she used the word prescribed. Like when you were just saying in remission, like prescribing them periodontal therapy versus recommending it, which then feels somewhat optional and trying to build that world of like, we are healthcare. This isn't, a chit chat, like, I'm going to be friendly with you, but like, these are body parts, right? You know, we've talked about that when we used to do our implant course together, we would say like, we don't just take out body parts. We're not going to amputate body parts without a plan. Right. 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 Don't think for whatever reason. And I think, well, I shouldn't say for whatever reason, I think we're a big part of the problem. Like the reason they don't work at it that way. It's because of how we have interacted during their visits. Right. And time. think about like,
0: sorry, go in, the th- in the early two, in the early two thousands, what did we have on TV? That like extreme body makeover thing, and everything with dentistry was all about cosmetics, white teeth, and veneers and crowns. And these people are crying. Yes, we can change and save lives and change the way you feel and about yourself and your appearance. That's all very important things. It's part of your your mental health and your self worth, and that's all important. Don't get me wrong, but we missed the boat on the message. We just made it all about the way you look yes. and not about your health and your function and how that impacts. I mean, down to breathing and nitric acid production and all of these things that are so important.
2: Nobody knows that stuff, right? Like, I, just, and when you talk I like about to watch it, Working the Moms, the show Working Moms. And he just, just like three days ago, I was watching an episode and the guy says, he's like an, an advertising executive. And he was teasing the lady who owns the company about not having good dental plan like a dental policy at her office and he's like I lost four teeth working with you and she's like <laughs> she's like what he goes they're in the back it's fine it doesn't matter and I'm like oh, yeah. there you go. like that's exactly that's the best exactly me. that's, yeah. yeah. that's going out to the right. masses is like as long as it's right here in the front you know the smilers yeah. as then long as we've got the
0: social 12
1: we're good <laughs> but so we good crazy. the rest can all
0: fall
1: out. <laughs> I like your idea of call uh, where you're saying calling a prescription like I think that would Hit with patients really different if we didn't write, here's your treatment plan. And if the front, if the top of it, said prescription, and this is the prescription for your, um, that's what look. I say about OHI. Yeah. I think this that's is what I'm prescribing for you. Yeah. That's a nice way of, you know, nice whatever when, they ask if they can get this product,
2: like over the counter. Sometimes you can't, sometimes yeah. you can. Um, but when, you know, when you can't, that's what I would say is like, well, because it's a prescription, oh, it's a prescription. I can get it at the pharmacy. Well, no, it's only dispensed through the practice. So you're still using that language yeah. that again, ties mm-hmm. it to healthcare. But like we are, we're, we're prescribing a treatment plan, even if you still called it that. Yeah. Um, so when she, yeah, when she said it that way, I was like, oh, I love prescribing, that's yeah. awesome. Like again, whatever we can do to drive home the, the value and that this isn't optional, this isn't, uh, it's not gonna go away. It's not frivolous, it's not a luxury. No. Yeah. Yeah. No.
1: What are some tips you can give with uh, some word exchanges? So what are some words that you think we should avoid and replace with other words? I'm putting on the spot here. I didn't let her prepare. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah, but she's a master. She's got this.
1: Fine.
2: Um, I despise the word cleaning. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I could stand on a mountaintop and if I could go and erase it from like Webster's dictionary, I just... (laughs) I just like, it gives me like hair stands up on the back of the neck, on the back of my neck when I go. And it's funny because all the teams that I work with know this because I tell them and I'm like, it's okay. I'm not going to create bias against you. If you say the word, just know that I'm probably going to make this face like every time you say it because like, (laughs) I just think it devalues what we do so much. So again, taking away cleaning and transitioning that into your like preventative hygiene services or your supportive hygiene services. if if front office team, when you're calling and saying like, just don't say you're due for your cleaning, we have some, here's the worst you're due for your cleaning. And we had a cancellation. Would you like to come in versus (laughs) versus, um, you know, Tabitha asked that I reach out because your supportive therapy visit is really important to you and your goal of maintaining your teeth. We've had an opportunity become available in the schedule, yeah. and we'd love to invite you in. She wanted me to reach out right away. Can you make it on Tuesday?
1: Yeah, like, I was so patients when they walk in the door, like because I'm everyone's meeting me brand new at the moment because I'm new to the practice. So I haven't met anyone for the second time yet. So I'm so exhausted. Like when you just meet a new person yeah. eight times a day, I'm just coming <laughs> home and, like kill me now. I'm so tired. But I just say, you know, hi, I'm Tabitha. I'm gonna do your preventative care appointment today. Yep. And so that's why I just call it every time. I'm gonna do your preventative because I don't know what they're coming for. So like I, you know, I'm hoping it's prevention, but who knows once I see them. But I just word it as I'm I'm hoping to do your preventative care.
2: But doesn't that open the door for um because profi, another word that like a patient doesn't understand. But if Ugh. you're saying your preventative hygiene services or your preventative dental visit today, If you now find out that there's disease, you've already spoken those words and kind of, so, so now you're saying like, so I know you were here for your preventative visit. And what we're finding is we're not preventing disease anymore. We we just did this whole thing together and and we found that there is disease. So we won't be doing preventative hygiene visits moving forward because I think it's so important for patients to know, like you said, we're not going to fix you with this perio visit. There's going to be maintenance and you're going to be coming in more often. So if you've already started with the language of preventative, it's so much easier to explain to them, like, now we're not preventing anymore. Now we're treating and then we'll be maintaining or supporting your remission. We're using those words. Um. So yeah, that's a, that's definitely a big one. Like, just take cleaning out of your recovery. And, and I really also like, like scaling or deep cleanings. Uh-oh. like. I personally prefer like periodontal therapy or active periodontal treatment or something that speaks to the levity of what it is. And it makes it more kind of acute. Um, people hear deep cleaning and even scaling and root planing means absolutely nothing to yeah. a patient, right? SRP, like- SRP. We say it and cause it's easy cause we know it, but to a patient, we have to describe that differently. But why are we even still calling
0: it that? Because when I was a student, we were told that we don't root plain teeth anymore, right? So like, and this is this is two decades ago plus. Why are we still calling That's it cool.
1: this? I, <laughs> what did you say? I call call it- it- our, our, our age.
0: <laughs> I know, I know. I reluctantly said that. You know what?
2: No, no, I'm gonna take that. You own your age. We are lucky to still be here and be crushing it. Even in well, for me in my forties, I don't know where you ladies are at. But yeah, I we're we're still
0: there with you. We're not. We haven't crossed over that bridge yet. I own it.
2: I own it. But, I'm I'm proud of it. I'm happy to be here. But yeah, it's why do why right? Non, well, the way yeah, we non-surgical, done it. non-surgical oh, no. periodontal therapy. I also the non-surgical method. periodontal therapy. See, I do like that as well because then it gives the like mindset of like, so there's surgical perinatal therapy. And actually I've even said that to some patients before, like we are so lucky to have caught this now before it's advanced to the point where you might need surgery. Right. And that's what I love being in
0: perioprost because I'll say to my patients all the time, look, if you and I create this good bond and I do my part and you do yours, I keep you out of his chair. Yeah. If you go in his chair, the scalpel comes out. Right. So if you and I can really work together, we can avoid that from happening. Yeah. I'm in. Are you in? Like, I like to play with them. Like, I like to joke around and play with them. And they're like, oh, yeah, let's go, Melissa. I'm in. Let's do this. Like, they get all excited about it. I but, know. Um, you know, or, or I love to joke with them too, and be like, it's kind of ridiculous that he has me working here because I'm trying to keep you from going over by right, right. So it is it doesn't really make sense that I'm here. But let's not let him in on the secret. This is right. what you and I are going to do. <laughs>
1: You know, so I talk to my patients about that my goal of my job is to become redundant. So, <laughs> um, like, I am I want to become redundant. Um, so, really, I'm trying to get rid of you, okay? So, you do, <laughs> like, this work because the aim is that you no longer need me, you know, as much. So, I want, you know, every day I'm coming to work, I'm trying to get made redundant. I always joke around. I'm like, yeah, China, I'm trying to get to early retirement. You guys have to do this stuff so I can, so I can. And this is when I teach students as well. I'm like, you really should walk in the door every day with the aim to become redundant. Don't worry. It won't happen. Like there's yeah. so much disease out there that right. there'll be another hundred patients to replace that patient that no longer needs you. But, exactly. but the aim every day should be is that we empower our patients to take control of their health, yeah. look after themselves and not need us.
2: So this is like a really nice little bow on this because basically you're a coach for your patient. (laughs) It's like, right. Are we not like when you think about it, which is probably why I love coaching now, because you you're coaching your patients. I say that as a coach, the goal of me as a coach is to help you. Right. Figure out the disease within your practice.
1: (laughs) and we'll
2: figure out a way to manage it. And eventually you won't need me to the extent that you need me right now. Like, right, right. That's the goal of of a good coach is to get a team in a place where they can be to some degree self-sufficient with solving these problems. And now I might just need to be a resource that you check in with now and then. It might take a couple of years to get you there, but that's where the goal is. And ultimately that's kind of exactly what you're saying is like, you want to be a coach for these patients. To help them understand what needs work, how yeah. do we do it? And then get you to a point where you just have to check in with me now and then and I'll keep you on track.
1: Yeah, the long term, I goal absolutely love that. I'm not your coach. Like I'm just, yeah.
0: But it's great because it kind of takes the mindset like this is such a great point you just made, Marina, because as a clinician, the barriers that we put in place with, oh, the insurance is going to is not going to pay for this or I should get this patient done in, in 45 minutes, um, you know, oh, it's only, you know, I'm, I'm being too aggressive because there's only four spots of bleeding and a couple you know, sporadic five millimeter pockets. You're still if you look at it as a coach rather than a clinician, right? You're, you're, if you're making a choice to give a prophylaxis to somebody who has active disease, you're not helping them have the realization to get to the place where they can get healthy. And you're going to burn yourself out because you're going to do the same thing over and over again, but expecting a different result. That's never going to come.
2: And then the end is they're not compliant. Mm, Have we not done our part though?
0: Exactly. There's a lot of, I think our profession needs to do a lot of looking in the mirror right now. And just like as a whole and just evaluate what we've been doing, how has it been working and how do we start to make change? Our profession is in such a crossroads. There's so much medical driven information that proves how important what we do is. And if we all made a small change every day, that's going to have an enormous impact longitudinally. So, um, you know, things like this is just it's so important to just kind of like benchmark yourself And make these changes because you've just given a hundred great little pearls of information on how to manage these conversations because that's a lot of the barrier, right? I don't want to do something different because it's going to rock the boat in my office. I'm going to have to work harder now because I'm going to have to explain myself in greater detail. I'm going to have to make sure that the admin team is on board. I'm going to have to make sure the doctor's on board. What if the doctor comes in and then says, oh, everything looks great. See, in six months, you got to have these conversations ahead of time before you just go and deploy these things. And that's, I mean, these are all things that we've, I'm sure collectively, the three of us have mistakenly done in our journeys. Sure. Like you go to a course by yourself and you come back yep. super pumped and you're like having these new conversations with people. And then it just dies because you didn't do the due diligence just because you didn't know any better yeah. to go have the conversations with your team before you started making that change in your operatory. And it so is hard. I, I just my,
2: think- my, my, my That's why my new job exists, right? Because I can go in and I can be the person that helps lead everyone. This is what admin needs to know and say. This is what clinical team needs to know and say. Doctors, you're the leaders. This is what you have to be doing to support everybody. And so yeah. when a practice has that, and that's why we, we've we all said having people come into the practice, like it's worked out well, because that person helps guide everyone. It's not you trying to be like the strong hygienist coming in and changing everything. And, and now you're, like you said, you're rocking the boat. But even today, like, cause I know we're, um, we're wrapping up the two things like from today, cause there was a lot, but like figure out what healthy looks like in your practice, right? What is a healthy periodontal patient look like? And, and if you're like not doing some of these things now, like that's step one of starting to have the realization day in and day out as every patient sits in your chair, you measure them against that bar that you created of what healthy is. And you're going to start to see who is and isn't healthy.
1: And Let's then, 10 then just 10, start
2: explaining perio.
1: <laughs> What'd you say? 10% of sites with bleeding and no probing depth over three, three millimeters. Done. <laughs> right. It's really, isn't it yeah. crazy how simple
2: that is? It, yeah. But yeah. you got to Like if you set that bar.
1: Yeah.
2: Now everyone that and- sits in the chair, it's like, ooh, ooh, okay. I probably need to do something different because I had seven of my eight patients today that technically weren't healthy. Like I just set that bar for. All right, so healthy mouth baseline is what you have to benchmark
1: against. Stop using the word cleaning.
2: Yes.
1: (laughs) Communicate as a team. I think that's a really big thing that you drove home. It's like the communication that we do with our patients is so important. But if you're not communicating as a team and if you don't have goals and a direction, then it really is just a bit wild.
2: It is.
0: Yeah, (laughs) totally. Totally.
1: And a lot of hygienists have asked
0: uh, over the years too like well how do you how do you stay in alignment with those things if your team is not supporting you. So I mean those are tough questions to get you you can try 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 but you have to understand like if you're trying and the team's not moving in the direction you want to move then you have to kind of possibly reevaluate is this the right team for you. But I just say so believe- there's a
2: lot of practices looking for hygienists right now and there's a say, lot of practices no that want a hygienist who will, wants this for their patients, right? Absolutely. And they can't find them. Absolutely. So there's, you yes. just got to find the the one that aligns with who you are and what your values are as a clinician. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Well, Miranda,
0: it is always a pleasure having you on with us. Thank you so much for sharing with us this morning or this evening for Tabitha. Right. And... <laughs> And uh, just giving us an update and sharing so many pearls of wisdom. Every time I speak with you, I always learn something new. You're incredible. And thank you for all the hard work that you do, not only for the practices that are lucky to have you as their coach, but just as our profession. Your voice is so needed within our profession. So thank you.
2: Thank you, guys. I love seeing you both. I miss you. I wish I could give you a big hug, maybe sometime soon.
1: (laughs) I wish we could have for another hour. Maybe we'll have you back on for episode three. (laughs) Yeah. You know what?
0: Let's do a follow-up episode on strategies to discuss when you've diagnosed periodontal disease and you've employed all of the strategies you just talked about and you still get pushback.
1: Yeah. I love it.
0: Bring bring on the objections.
1: (laughs) We'll call it one about objections.
0: Yeah. The one about objections. If people want to reach out to Miranda, how can they get in touch
2: with you? The easiest and best way is to just shoot me an email, Miranda at actdental.com, A-C-T Dental.com. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Well,
0: thank you again
2: for being on with
0: us. And thank you for joining us and listening. And in the meantime, Disruptors, until we see you again, keep disrupting. Bye. Bye. Hey, thank you again so much for tuning into the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. We love to hear from you viewers, and we'd love that you join us for our episodes. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts.
1: And leave us a review. We love reading reviews from all over the world. It's one of the things that actually makes all the hard work feel really worth it when we get to see which episodes you're enjoying or some feedback that you give. So leave us a review on Apple Podcast or write something on our Facebook or our Instagram page. We'd love to hear from you and thanks so much for listening.
0: Keep on disrupting.